0: 2012 as we continue along in this journey of rewinds each episode during my winter shutdown being a year closer to the present but we're still well in the past here 10 years and a few days ago December 11th 2012 this was originally episode uh, 1038 that's kind of crazy to me That that long ago I had already crossed a thousand episodes. Anyway, it was called Understanding the Coming Shifts in Society. I didn't get to listen. Like Sometimes I don't even listen to an episode when I'm doing a rewind. Because I'm always kind of in a hurry when I'm doing rewinds. I, I don't get to listen to the episode. I look at the show notes and kind of make the new intro. This one I didn't really get to listen to all the way through. But I got to listen to about 20 minutes of it. And then I look at the show notes, and I have to say, am I 100% right? Because we're talking about the coming shifts in society in this episode. No, but I would say that I am close to 95% right, and maybe closer to 100, getting a 100 score, if we look at it from the standpoint of, did I get the macro trend right, and maybe not the micro method by which it would occur? Uh, absolutely correct. And it the other side of this is, is while of course I would tweak it a little bit if I did it today, uh, because you, you know more uh, what ten years down the line than you did ten years ago about what's actually happened. If those little tiny tweaks were made, if I were to bring in some of the things about manufacturing and how we've been affected with supply shortages and all, I could do this episode today, and people will be like, yeah, yeah, like this is a perfect episode for right now. Even though I did it 10 years ago. And the reason is, when I put together this episode, and I will tell you that when I was doing this, uh, back at this time, it kind of continued on yesterday's theme, I still had the Doomsday Prepper people contacting me. It was still in that time frame. Uh, I was getting a lot of it from the audience of, of, of a fear-based thing. And I wanted to do, again, we were toward the end of a year like we are now, and I wanted to do an episode that kind of created a mental reset on, yeah, there's a lot of things to be concerned about, but there's a lot of things that we can do about them, and it's best that we let go of the things we can't change. Because that's that circle of, of concern versus circle of control, circle of influence that we have around us. Where we need to put 99% of our effort, effort the 1% is just for awareness of the concern. So if we know if the tornado or the hurricane or the law, you know, as far as a new law coming, is going to affect us. We use that 1% for awareness and we just go right back into planning our lives. And so I put a, a lot of research into this and I took something... Uh, that I've I've continued to hone and develop over the years, that I've always been fairly good at, which is pattern recognition. And I I looked at how did we get to where we were, and what was the pattern of progression that led to the point we were sitting in again back in December 2012, and what did that what did that say about where we were going? The other thing I did was I took the other, you know, real skill that I I, kind of developed in my young life, being a mechanic in the army, which was troubleshooting. And so then you, you start to pick apart each piece of the process and understand where things are going wrong. And what, if anything, can be done about that problem? Or do we scrap this particular vehicle and start over? Because sometimes you actually did that. We used to do a thing in the Army called the ECOD, estimated cost of damages. And if the cost of fixing a vehicle exceeded its replacement cost, it went to the military junkyard. Just a basic mathematical equation. And, And, of course, we can't do that in our world, but we kind of can. We don't send the thing to the military scrapyard, right? What we do is we send the thing that somehow we've allowed into what we believe to be our circle of control or influence, and we banish it to the junkyard that is that circle of concern. It's there. It exists. The thing happened or is happening, but we can't do anything about it. And that led to really an interesting episode. As I was listening to the 20 minutes of this during the prep work for it, I was kind of like, Man, I, I wish I actually had time to listen to this whole thing to do my new intro, but with that said, I didn't, so we'll cut it short here, and we'll rewind right now, all the way back, to December 11th, 2012, originally episode 1038, Understanding the Current Shifts in Society, and this is one of the rewinds I would love your comments on, whether they're on the blog, where I publish, said to me by email, because I did listen to the whole thing. What did I get right? What did I get wrong? And what did I get right as far as the trend, but wrong by the means which the trend would occur? What are your thoughts on that? Because this might make a really interesting update show for me to go back into this subject, pulling from this episode, and let's look another 10 years into the future, which of course would be 2032. Do you think TSP will still be around in 2032? I will make this commitment to you. If my heart beats, it shall be. With that on your mind, if you enjoy my show and the work that I do, and the extra effort we put into making sure during even my shutdowns and holidays and travel that there is content for you, even if there are rewinds, if you want to support the work that I do, that I've been doing for 15 years, then when you do your online shopping, all I ask is you just start out at tspaz.com, t-s-p-a-z.com. Do that, and you'll help us out no matter what you buy, whether it's something I recommend or not. With that, here we go back to 2012. Check it every day. Now let's get into the uh, main topic here. Here's what kind of got me thinking about this recently. I've had to have a lot of conversations lately um, as things like 2012, Apocalypse Shows, Doomsday Preppers, non-reality Doomer TV, and and crap like this has uh, surfaced and become more and more popular. The lathering up by all, you know, Discovery Channel, Science Channel, History Channel, they're all running Armageddon stuff as we're leading up to December 21st, where nothing's going to happen. And the prep- prep preparedness industry really kind of became really hot in the last couple of years. And uh, people, you know, that meet me either online or offline always have one of two takes. And it's either they're all freaked out and they're in on, all in on this apocalypse crap. And then the majority actually, like, they, they, they see everybody that is involved with preparedness in that light. You're like one of those crazy people on Doomsday Preppers. And here's the thing. Most of the people that think we're crazy like shows like Doomsday Preppers. But they like it the same way that somebody might watch Jersey Shore or the Kardashians. They don't want to be that. They look at the dysfunctionality and feel better about themselves. And I don't care if you think I'm crazy. I really don't. I put in the show notes today that my business partner, Neil Franklin... Who I still work with from time to time on things, but we worked together for a number of years very closely. We were great friends. Uh, I mentioned yesterday about the only thing I could say I miss about corporate America is hanging out in bars with him and discussing ideas. uh, and everything else I don't miss at all. Um, his nickname for me was Crazy Jack. Um, especially after he saw the way I would run meetings, you know. Uh, and it didn't bother me at all. I, I thought it was great. So I don't care if you personally think I'm nuts. I, I, I really don't care. But, If you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that I actually care about people. I really, really do. And I really want to help as many people as I possibly can. And part of why, if you hear me talk about Doomsday Preppers sometime, and all of a sudden I become... I don't know, one guy out there said, when when I start to tweak, he calls me Stu, right? It's like my alternate personality. You know, the reason that Doomsday Preppers and, you know, knowing the producer, having met him face to face, hearing him say things like, I have no integrity, I can't afford to have integrity... That's what makes stew come out, but it's not because like it's not my way, so I'm angry. It's it's not that at all. Or if they did it the way I, it's nothing to do with me personally. It's that I see the results of this when I talk to people because I try to talk to everybody I can about what I do. I'm a non-covert prepper. I don't hide any. Why would I? I'm I'm on the air every day. You know, there's no point in me trying to hide who and what I am. It's just not. And it's not saying that you know nobody should kind of keep a low profile. Most of you should. But somebody has to step up and evangelize this, and that's me. So I talk to people, and I see the results. And what the result is for people is, I don't need to worry about it because all of those people are crazy. And you got to understand, when you're looking at those crazy people on TV, here's what you're seeing. People with a predisposition to go too far. People that generally don't know what they're doing. A few of them I, I've seen have. And people who aren't anywhere near as crazy as they're presented, packaged and delivered and edited to you as completely crazy. So even the, the the nut jobs they show on that show aren't anywhere near as bad as they're presented. They're presented to the extreme because that's reality TV. So when we understand that, we start to realize, and some of the stuff, they I, I can't watch the show, guys. I can't. I tried to watch it the other day, and there were two guys, and the one was going to come, stay with the other, and the one was like the lead dog because it was his bug out location, and they were going to saddle up and meet together, and they were either out of Houston or San Antonio or something like that, and they drive out to this place, and the one guy shows up, and the other guy's got the gun on him as a drill and making him get on the ground and crap, and they have the kids out. They get up in a deer blind, and the guy's wearing hearing protection, and the other guy shoots in some kind of practice shooting, and the guy's laying on the ground crying because his ears are, oh, man, I'm like, this is all, I mean... First of all, most of you guys know that every time you turn on the outdoor channel, somebody's in a deer blind with a cameraman taking a shot. And if you're wearing hearing protection, that should happen. And they were going to have this big break. I mean, it's just stupid. And and again, the problem isn't that it's stupid. It's what the stupidity says to the average person that just starts to wake up to this cocoon around them. To the reality that they're not always safe. They're sitting on their TV and they've heard about this hurricane's going to hit the Northeast and it's going to be epic and whatever. And then, and then they, they all of a sudden they see people's houses ripped off the foundation, people digging in gar, and they start to go, "Wait a minute, maybe, maybe, maybe we should be at least putting a few cases of water up and whatever." And then they see this crap, and if they and they you know they talk to their wife, the wife has seen this crap, and then all, or the husband's seen this crap. Either way that it goes, and all of a sudden we're going to do nothing because we don't want to be like them. That's why it angers me, because of that group of Americans that are, you know, most are not even close. Most are completely asleep. I can't do anything. If somebody won't meet me 1% of the way, right, at least 1% given this direction, I, I, I can't help you. But the ones that have started to take a step forward, I want to be able to help them, and I don't want to be ostracized by this. And there's all of these things that can happen that we talk about with order of probability of disaster, and it's where I start with new people so they can understand that there's reasons to do this apart from anything you see on TV. What if your wife is killed in a car accident tomorrow? How, would you, how well would your family do surviving as a unit after that happened? And the guys that say, you know, well, uh, I'm a sole breadwinner and we have insurance on her. And, you know, and my response is, don't you think you might need some time off work after this happens? You have two kids. Don't you think they might need some professional counseling? When you're working, who's going to take care of them? And, and the thing is that people do get through that event, but you need to be prepared if you want to get through it. as best. I mean, once your kids lose a parent on either side, don't you think they deserve as much advantage as they can to cope with it? And don't you think it's your responsibility as a person to bring See, and that starts to break. Like, oh, wait a minute. This crap this, this crap. No, this makes sense. This makes sense. And this guy's not selling me an insurance policy, so he's being genuine. And i will say, okay, well, let's look at it this way. What if you just lost your job? Well, I got an employee. Have you really done the numbers? And then you say, okay. Well, what if there was a fire? Well, I've got fire insurance. Do you know how to use your fire insurance once once the the house has been destroyed? Do you know? Do you have all of your expensive valuables cataloged and put in a different place other than your home that just burned down, so that you could file it and and and, and claim all of this stuff? Do you know where you would go that first night? Do you know that you need to make sure that when the firemen are done putting out the fire, if there is anything left of value, that you need to be there to protect your own home because the very people that come to board up your home may steal from you? Did you know that? And, and you start to get through it. And where I want to take this today and where I want to take that person is an understanding of a much bigger dynamic. No, it's not that the world is going to end. It's some kind of apocalyptic holocaust. But we are at... A point in a cycle here where things are going to change, and things always change, but there are megatrends that cause significant shifts, and it's happened over and over throughout history. Empires have fallen, and empires have risen and many times we think all about an empire falling and think that that's when there's a problem. there's also plenty of a big problem when an empire rises. And one thing that we don't understand is the U.S. has become an empire. We, we have, and I don't say that in any kind of negative or positive connotation, either or. It makes it, I'm trying to make that as a neutral statement, but if you look at it, the U.S. is the sole superpower in the world today. If anybody's close to us, it would be what's left of the Soviet Union and Russia and the Chinese. And militarily, they both present a fairly significant uh, counterpart to who we are, but we are so much beyond them. In, in reality, when we look at the capabilities and the hardware and everything else, and that military is what establishes the empire. And again, I'm not making a positive or negative statement. I'm making a neutral statement of fact. And we have our influence further in the world than any other nation. For some nations, that's been a very good thing, and for some nations, it's been a very bad thing. Some of the nations did it's a bad thing for it, The leadership of those nations deserve for it to be a bad thing. Some of the nations that it's a bad thing for, they don't. You you can't have this much influence without having both positive and negative effects. So the rise of a U.S. empire was very positive for some and very negative for others. It's empowered a corporatocracy that's allowed companies like Monsanto to enforce their patents internationally to the point where some nations finally wised up and threw them out. Russia has kicked out Monsanto and GMOs banned, out. Many other nations are starting to do so. But the damage was already done, and the bill of goods was sold. So understand that a shift can be about the rise of something or the fall. It doesn't just have to be the fall. Or the rise of something within something, like a more totalitarian government. And we're going to talk about all these things. I'm just trying to set the stage for you here. So let's just start out with two different things that are very important to understand if we're going to do anything about this for ourselves. Because we have around ourselves, as I say often, from one of my uh, mentors I never met, Stephen Covey and uh, the Habits of Highly Effective People that I never read. I only saw one page of that book. I still, after the guy died, I said I was going to buy the book and read it, and I never did. And I realized I even have a copy of it sitting on my bookshelf, and I just haven't gotten to it. Um, but that book, for those who haven't heard me tell the story before, I was told one time, you need to read this, Jack. And this is back when I was in my career days, and I was building up all that stuff. Yeah. And I went into the bookstore. And I saw the book on the shelf and I opened it. And I opened it to a page. And the page had a picture. And one picture said circle of influence. And it was a little circle. And then it was a great big circle, circle of concern. Closed the book and put it on the shelf and said, that's why I needed to read it. And I kind of believe that things happen that way for once in a while. And the, the basic concept of that is really simple that there's a lot of stuff that we care about, that we really like, you know, like what the clowns are doing in Washington, but we have very little influence over. And then there's a lot of things that we care about that we have a great deal of influence over. And in our lives, we tend to gravitate toward the big problem we have no influence over and spend all our energy and time there. We do this in our personal relationships and we do it at the, you know, the macro global level where people sit around and worry about something that they can't actually do anything about. And all their energy time goes there, and all the stress in their life comes from there. And because the stress is being received about something you can't do anything about, the stress kills you. Part of our chronic illness in America, the two biggest things killing people in America today, you know what they are? The the number one thing is stress, and it's the way I just described that stress. The number two thing is a food system that creates massive amounts of inflammation in our bodies. And that leads to everything from heart disease to cancer. And those two things are directly created by this massive overall circle of concern. But if we pull them down to our circle of influence, we can address them. And if we can keep focusing them on at the global level, we can't. So they either kill us or we fight back. So start out, how do we collectively get here? How do we get here at that level where we're all in this mess together now? Well, it's not all that it was just Let's just screw everything up. That's a great idea. No, what happened was society began to coalesce around different civilizations over time. And before the advent of things like fossil fuel-based energy and mechanization and advances in technology, any society that developed into a culture had to defend what they had aggressively because anything that was more than just a dirt floor hut was extremely valuable to everybody else who wanted a piece of it. And this was the, the, you know, the days of empire, the Roman Empire, the British Empire, etc. And along the way, as those empires expanded into undeveloped parts of the world to get things, anything from spices to art to silk, the undeveloped world began to see what the developed world had and started to develop it for themselves. And over time, we ended up finding these things we would call today shortcuts. Instead of taking two months for something to get across the ocean, we could fly across with an airplane in half a day. And that was fairly far into the advancement. But as that level of advancement came on, all of the developed world, and much of what at at that time was still considered developing, began to take these shortcuts And we started to ask ourselves if we can plow a field in a day versus a month. Why wouldn't we? If one guy on a tractor can do it, versus 400 people with oxen and in a a, you know tow behind plow, why wouldn't we do that? And people say, well, they'll lose their jobs. We have other things for them to do. We got a lot of stuff to do. We got so society began to move in this thing we call progress. And as we did that, it wasn't all bad. And those that think it's all bad don't get it. You know, t- go outside, shut the main breaker off to your house and have no electricity for a week. Don't build a battery backup system like you're going to learn about yesterday. Don't fire up a generator and don't go to the store and don't use your car. And you start to realize that it wasn't as great as we, you know, nostalgia and Little House on the Prairie and all would lead you to believe. But they had trains by that point. Okay? And they had, they had combines by that point. They were just pulled by horses. All right, or, or or oxen, but they had this technology already being developed beyond you know one guy with a plow in the field. As that developed, we started to expect more and more and more, and people became more and more divorced from what it actually takes to get things. So you buy an iP- iPhone today, or uh, an Android, or whatever your brand of smartphone is. And you have an expectation of that that thing will basically do more than a very large desktop computer would have just 15 years ago. And it damn well better come be, you know, something you can buy for a couple hundred bucks. And you don't even understand what went into getting just some of the metal that makes up some of the components that are inside it. And how impossible that would be. And this has created this collective idiocy of, of the population that just thinks it can always be this way. It can always be this way, and I'm not one of these guys to tell you it's all going away. In fact, I have to constantly reassure you. No, it's not. In fact, don't prepare for it to all go away because you'll get hurt that way too. But some things are going to. Change. It has to. Because a lot of the places that we get materials cheaply to do all this stuff now, it's not just that it's dependent on oil and how much oil is there, because there's more than than the peak people think and less than the people of the mainstream tell you, with the truth somewhere in the middle. But it's also somewhere there's a place where they dig a hole in the ground and pull lithium out of the ground, and it does damage. And the people that live there are starting to go, wait, I don't know if I like this, and maybe I don't want to work for a quarter a day anymore. And don't they have that right? And as all those dynamics come into play, it creates a propensity for a shift. But this, that's how we got there. A belief of each generation that the next generation should have it better. They should not have to go through what I went through. And somewhere we crossed the line. Because that thought process by a homesteader using manual tools to clear 40 acres in the Kentucky wilderness in 1840 was a good thought but somewhere along the lines where in the modern age we got to a point where that meant that that our children would have have nothing that they had to do only what they wanted and they wouldn't even need to understand how things worked that's where it started to break and fall apart and the sad thing is technology was able to give us 95% of what we expected and why is that sad? Because it reinforced the delusion that it could continue. That's how we got here collectively. Now, how do we get, how, how do we get here individually? Many of us have experienced this shift. This is what I call the pre-shift shift, right? So, what I mean by that is, we're, we're heading for a place where people are going to get really, really hurt. But to get people set up that way, collectively and individually, they had to become sufficiently disempowered to close their eyes and ignore it and allow the collective idiocy to occur. And most of us that are in our 30s to 70s that are out here today have been part and watched it occur. Most of us that I would say are in our mid-30s or older lived in a time when it wasn't like this. We know better. Now, some of us grew up in you know a 1970s version, suburban, big city, yuppie family, and we might never have seen that even at 40 years of age. But most of us in that age bracket have. I know I did. And somehow, we got caught in this too. We were told, get good grades, go to school, follow the rules, which... Forty years before, probably wasn't really bad advice, but the rules started to become somebody else should do it. The rules started to become there'll always be more. The re- rules started to be technology can fix everything. The rules started to be you don't you shouldn't work hard. That's for people that are uneducated. The rules started to become a shovel is beneath you. The rules started to become, you deserve a car when you're 16 years old. The rules then became, you deserve an iPod, a cell phone, a pager, a computer. And none of these things in and of themselves are bad. But the rules became that you were literally entitled to them. And along the way, many of us that knew better treated our children this way. We said, I don't want them to have it as bad as I did. And a lot of people that say that didn't have it very bad. I have one particular family member that says, you know what it was like growing up. You went through some hard stuff, too. And this guy, what he means by his hard stuff is a lot of times when he was playing football, his dad was at work at the night shift so he could put food on the table. And what I mean by it is at 16 I was living alone because my family was crazy. And I had to go out and find a place I could live that I could afford to pay rent at 16. And I'm thinking, you don't know nothing. And I say nothing. But really, and there's so many people walking around with that mindset that they had it so tough. Why? Because the old man worked hard. Because he always took care of you. Because he always and, and, and then psychologists came in and started telling people, "Yeah, that's bad. Whatever's wrong with you, your parents did it to you." And some of them, some people got this directly, but there's a lot of indirect messages there. So co- so collectively we got there through a big mess that we can't fix. That's our circle of concern. Individually, it's all us. It's all on us. And we have led ourselves to believe that it will just be okay. Even many of us that prep today, we think that way. Well, it will be fine tomorrow. I'm prepping for this one day, but tomorrow is going to be fine. And if we don't do that, then we do something almost worse, and we get crazy and we become like the doomsday prepper idiot, laying on the ground crying because his ears hurt. Literally crying like a baby. Now, those two worlds seem different, but they're a lot the same. It's a clinging to an idealism. Well, without an understanding of fluidity and change, and that change isn't always progress, this nation's people have been led to believe for the last 50 years that there's only one place for us to go, and that's forward, and that forward is always good. We have been led to believe that everybody that came before us had it worse, and that was bad, and we should never have it as bad as they did. We've been led to believe that government can fix our problems for us and should. We've been led to believe that hard work, when I'm talking about physical work, is something that is derogatory. That if your child grows up and builds houses for a living, that's somehow a terrible, terrible failure on your part as a parent. And this is how we got here individually. We believed all of this bullshit and now the world is about to say hello, hello, yeah, 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 Uh, that's not true. The whole world's about to say this to us. There are certain things that are coming that there is no way you're putting it back. One thing is population, and it's hitting us in two different ways. And it's hitting us more about its movement than its direct growth or decline. There are people that believe that we are about to experience a demographic bomb. Instead of the, the rapid, uncontrolled growth that we feared and we were told about and how the planet would be stripped of all resources and there would be 2,500 trillion billion people everywhere and you walk out the door and you walk into people, then we're all going to fall over and die because there's no air left. right? Instead of it being that ridiculousness, that actually in certain societies the birth rate is falling to the point where the population is beginning to decline. Or even moderate to flat. There's a problem with this. In the United States, our economy is not built based on a population that maintains stasis or declines. In fact, stasis or decline of population in this country will absolutely result in economic depression at best. It's the only result it can have under the current monetary paradigm. And under the current industrial paradigm. And I'm not saying that a decline in population would be a terrible thing. I'm telling you under the current system, it has to be. that The system itself would have to change to absorb that. All right, so that's one problem you have with population. Another par- problem with population is it is still growing. Anybody that says the global population is not still growing is crazy. It's just not growing in certain places, it's growing in others. And in the places where it's growing, it's exceedingly decline. Right? So I'm saying both, I'm not saying that either side of that debate's wrong. I'm saying they're both right for different reasons. because each is, look, each is sitting, they're sitting in the same house. And one's looking out a window to the east and one's looking out a window to the west. They're both telling each other what they're seeing. And they're both going, You're nuts! I, it's right here. And the other guy's going, You're nuts! It's right here. And they're both right and wrong because they're both too arrogant to turn around and look out the other guy's window. Here's the bigger problem, though. In much of the world, and it's I hate saying this is a problem because, for God's sakes, these people have a right to this. But in many parts of the world that are undeveloped, these populations that are spread out over these large areas are beginning to, to realize, hey, the way all these people in all of this other part of the world that we want to be like, that we've been interacting with for a millennia now, that have been coming to get our stuff and take it away, the way they live is in these things called cities. And the more you build, the more tax base you can, they figure it out and they're doing it too. And then they want a car. And then they want two cars. And they want a toilet that flushes. They want to turn on the lights and have electricity. They want central air conditioning. They want central heating. In other words, they want to be middle class. And here's the thing. No matter how much that inconveniences you, they don't give a shit, nor should they. And they're going to move themselves into a middle class structure as best they can. And that means they're going to begin to continue, to uh, compete with the rest of the world's middle classes for the resources that this relatively small group of people has had to itself for over 100 years. For as long as we've been able to highly mechanize and move things at rapid speed, a small group of people compared to the collective global whole, has had a monopoly on this on-demand inventory idea. And the rest of the world's going, yeah, we want some of that too. Now, there's only so much in the pie. So the population doesn't have to grow to strain the resources. All the population has to do is shift. So what you're going to see is a natural consequence of two dynamics causing a shift. And this is what I've called the the the, the downward migration of the middle class in this country. Part of it is our, it's, we have ourselves to blame. It's our economic system. It's a declining leveling population, which in in itself is not bad, but in the system is terrible. And it's an abuse of economic reality. It's an ignorance of, of monetary policy that has allowed the people that control the wealth to set up a system where they continuously harvest our middle class. For more and more wealth. And they do this by printing money and selling it into circulation. They call that lending. I can't go deep into that today. But that's how our economic system works. The higher you are in the hierarchy, the cheaper your access to money is. And you can sell it to the people below. How much money could you make if you were allowed to legally sell money? That's how central banks work. And that's how large mega banks work. And that's how large mega corporations work. And all of the middle class doesn't have any ability to sell money. The only thing you're able to do is purchase money. You purchase it through lending at an interest rate. You purchase it by spending on things that decline in value while you continue to pay for them. You purchase it through inflation. You purchase it through your labor. You purchase every dollar you own. I want you to understand that. You purchase it and then you spend it. The people that are controlling things manufacture it and then they sell it or they they purchase it and sell it for a profit. You don't get to work in that dynamic. So we have this middle class being pushed down by that. And then we're going to have a rising middle class in various other parts of the world that begin to remove how much is available to those people anyway. And you have a massive shift in the United States that will drive down what it means to be middle class in this country what it means from a standpoint of access to money, income, what income provides. The middle class will not shrink. People right now think the middle class is shrinking. It's not shrinking, it's changing. It's a much bigger problem. If you are in the middle class and you get knocked down to poor, you can always work your way back up. But what's happening is the middle class is starting to look like the poor. That's what's happening. And to the point where the poor that are on our assistance are going to live the same quality of life as the middle class. Not because we've gotten so good at taking care of the poor. And I'm talking about the non-working poor here, guys, right? The ones that are on assistance. Large amounts of assistance. The ones that live their lives on 100% assistance. It's not that we've gotten really good at taking care of them. It's that the quality of life of those who work is going to fall. And then what's the incentive to work? Isn't this a completely different way to look at the same problem the Soviet Union had? Think about that. It's the same thing, but different. The incentive is gone. It was done by a different mechanism, but the net result is the same. And we know what happened there. Why do we think we're different? Why do we think we're different? So we've got that dynamic working. We've also got a dynamic working that... On the surface may appear good, but may not be so good because you don't know what's going to happen. Instability is a problem, and what I mean by that is there are plenty of nations out there today that have either led a very socialist existence, like Spain, okay, and, and not the old commie socialist, the whole we're going to save everybody, it'll work ideal that are on the verge of economic collapse. And they have these large groups of people that have been told, you're going to be taken care of, that are now being told, well, not so much. You'll still get something, but not what you were promised. And this is creating a divide in those nations where the people that actually are working hard are starting to resent the people that haven't for decades. Sound familiar? Okay. And there are sections of some of these nations that are now seriously calling for their own geographic independence as they become their own nation-state. And then there are other nations that have been very totalitarianism, uh, ter- totalitarianistic, and, and the ones you get focused on are the Middle Eastern nations, but this is true all over, where the general population is not just saying, I want to be part of the middle class, but we don't so much want you telling us what to do anymore. Now that's creating an entire different dynamic. Citizens are expecting to have more control over their nations. There is a active, global, popular rebellion. And in spite of the fact that some people try to convince you of this, it ain't all unified. Everybody in their own place wants their own thing, their own way. And that creates a global instability as well. That's going to create a shift. And what it eventually leads to is once again U.S. prominence falling. And again, I'm making that as a neutral statement of fact, not a judgment one way or the other. Because if we're going to be prepared for this stuff, that's how we have to do this. We have to stop worrying about what we think should be, or why we think it's okay that we did, or why we think it's wrong that we did, because macro level, circle of concern, you don't get to decide about that. But what you have to do to be able to protect yourself with inside what you do influence is look at the way things are. Damn why they're there. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're looking in your refrigerator that's not on because the power is off, and there's no food in it, and you have one box of spaghetti left, you don't have any water coming out of your faucet, and you don't have any money coming in, And you're wondering how you got there. The first thing you're going to want to do is blame somebody. And that's what causes riots and and everything else. But no amount of that will feed you or feed your children. So worrying about whose fault it is. And I'm going to tell you that when push comes to shove, government and industry will do what it must to preserve itself. This is happening right now in Camden, New Jersey. In Camden, New Jersey right now, they're virtually shutting down the entire police department. Police officers in Camden, New Jersey are union. They had all these union promises and all these union uh, contracts and benefits and pensions promised and everything. And eventually the city of Camden said, you know what, guys? We can't do it. And like most unions do, the Twinkie people, most unions do, no, we're not given. <laughs> And the city of Camden said, you got to give. And they said, well, we'll give a little bit, but we're not doing any more than this. And and Camden said, listen, we don't have the money. Stone, squeeze, no blood. There is no more. This is it. And the union held its breath. And Camden said, okay, fine. You're all gone. You're all gone. We'll rehire new officers that are non-union. We'll just eliminate this. You want to take us to court? Go ahead. We'll fight that battle. But we're going we're gonna to run our city one way or another. Again, I'm making a neutral statement. I'm not saying, see, and this is the problem. A lot of you out there have one way or another you feel about this. And you want to see me as arguing with you simply because I'm not putting it the way you would. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just telling you what happened. And here's two things about that. One, there's going to be kind of a lull in protection by law enforcement there, isn't there? Can you see this happening all over America? I can't. Here's the bigger thing. The men that did the work that were promised the pensions, while some of these contracts are ridiculous, they w- took the job based on a promise, and they have planned their life based on a promise, a promise that's now gone. It's broken. It ain't going to happen. And financially, they're seriously, seriously impacted by this, and very few people understand it. Um my son's uncle and aunt on his birth father's side of the family are pretty good friends of, of our family today still, and we try to make sure that he has interaction with them every time that we can. And they're they're really nice people, and I wish they didn't live so far away because I'd, I'd like to see them more. But they both work for the state of New York. He is a parole officer, and I don't know what she does. She works kind of in the whole like processing world or something like that. And he just retired. He earned his retirement a couple of years ago, and now he's at home and he's working and all. And when they were down one time, they were talking about budget cuts coming to the state. And she said to him, do you think they'll cut your retirement? He said, eventually they have to. She couldn't believe it. And she's like, you're okay with that? He goes, I don't, I don't get to decide whether I'm – see, because this guy thinks. This guy's a smart guy. And she's a smart person too, but she doesn't she – you could tell at least at that point, she didn't get that. And most people in that situation don't. They don't have a spouse that does to explain it to them. And what they'll do over and over again that you're going to see, and this is another huge part of the shift that's coming, folks, city after city, county after county, and state after state is going to have this come to Jesus meeting with their employees, especially the ones that are on retirement or nearing retirement, and the the, the, the the response is going to be, we want it, and they're going to say, you ain't get it because we don't have it we don't have it the money's gone where'd it go we spent it it's gone we're mortgaged for 30 years now and we don't have the tax payments to service the debt raise taxes I gotta raise your taxes to collect more of your taxes to pay you what I promised you that doesn't work you can't rob Peter to pay Paul it's a lie It's a lie. And there's a limit. And the more a a city, a town, a state, a county, a nation declines, the less you can tax it. Tax the rich. That won't pay for crap. It won't work. The the system's broken. Everything we do that we think we're going to repair it is just misleading ourselves and feeding a beast that's going to slaughter us. This is not, again, I don't care what your politics are. This is reality. This is mathematical certainty at this point. If you look at the budgets of cities like Los Angeles, San Francisco, if you look at the budgets of cities like New York, if you look at the budgets of cities like Seattle, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Any head of a company that looked at that balance sheet would know his days as CEO are limited, and he'd know his company's screwed, and he would be in an emergency management mode the second he got close to where these people are, and these people are conducting business as usual. They're denying the problem, they're ignoring the problem, they're saying the problem's not there. So let me sum this up for you. we got a national economic system that requires growth in a population that's not going to give us growth. We have a limited number of resources in the world that we've become dependent on and a rising population of people that would like some of those too and they're damn well entitled to some of those too. Please don't, th- please don't be arrogant enough to think that they're not entitled to some too. Not just have it given to them, not have it taken from you. I'm saying they work, they earn, they build, they create and the place where the stuff comes, this is what people don't get. It's not an endless stream. All of this stuff that you have has to be built, manufactured, and delivered. And there's a finite capacity to that. And as more people develop the ability to compete with their money and their labor and their time for it, there's going to be less for you to get. And that's true of food, comfort items, luxuries, everything. And the price will be driven up by more competition. That's how the free market works. And there's nothing government can do to actually stop that from happening. It always happens. It always will happen. It's economic law. So we got that going on. Then we've got countless cities, counties, and states that are microcosms of the federal government that have done the same thing only their ability to continue is nowhere near what the federal government's ability to continue is because they don't have a printing press called the Federal Reserve to print more money for them. So they're running into the ceiling, and that's why you've seen, I, I, God, yo, know, I hope I have credibility with the long term listener at this point. It's 2008, I start telling you, you're going to see cities and counties going bankrupt. What have you seen in the last year if you've been paying attention? Was it four or five cities this year in California? <laughs> We're done. North Las Vegas, we're done. Central Falls, we're done. Detroit, they're done, but they won't admit it. Now what happens when we finally have that reality in a place like Los Angeles, or Honolulu, Hawaii, or Chicago, Illinois? Because it is coming. It is coming. It is going to happen. So we've got all that going on. Then we've got an entire global population that's getting fed up with people telling them how to live and what to do that are starting to create popular rebellions all over the world. Some successful, some successful to their own detriment. You get rid of dictator A and you end up with dictator B, who's twice as bad. Gee, that's never happened before. Oh yeah, history's a bitch. Let me reiterate something I've said before to really drive this home to you. We do not study history because if we fail to, we're doomed to repeat it. That's a lie told to every kid that asks his teacher, why do we have to learn this? If you told the kid the truth, you might actually get interested. We study history because if some dumbass did something stupid in the past that hurt or caused problems for a lot of people, some dumbass or vile person is going to do it again. And we need to be prepared to deal with what is going to happen. We we, we do not prevent the repeat of history by its study. We are better prepared to deal with the repeat of history when it does occur. Everything occurs in cycles. And the U.S. is at the end of a giant cycle of rising. And you know what happens at the end of a giant cycle of rising? A fall. This nation is going to fall. It's not a statement of joy or judgment or negative or positive. As I'm trying to say to you that I know a lot of you struggle with this if you differ with me politically. This is a statement of neutral fact. And what fall means is not that one day soon you'll walk out and all the skyscrapers will be crumbling and everything will be on fire. But this place that we've enjoyed for so long where we get are poor to live better than the wealthy did a hundred years ago. Do you know that? Do you know our poor probably live three to four times better than a wealthy person did a hundred years ago? Maybe not Vanderbilt wealthy, right? Where you have like 40 servants around taking your clothes off for you and all. They live better than that. But the average person that we would consider you know, a wealthy person by station owns some property, has a business, makes a good income, can buy the stuff that they want, That person, due to both technology and social engineering, lives today, the the poor person today in our country, defined as impoverished, lives better than that person did in 1900. And I defy you to prove me wrong. Did the person in 1900 have a microwave oven, a TV set, an air conditioner, and a heater? And most of our poor have that today. Yeah, I know there's the people on the street. I'm talking about the people on assistance that get all that stuff given to them. Or they get the rent-a-play, an apartment that gives them all that for $150 a month. I know someone doing that. It's a better apartment than when I was working for $18 an hour than I could afford then. And that was 20 years ago. And they're paid $150 for better today with government assistance. Section 8. My sister lives in a house. She could never afford to buy. Never afford to buy. She's a grocery store clerk. She works a cash register. And I love my sister because she's my sister. But when I'm dead honest about this, she has reached the pinnacle of her mental fitness and capability. This is it. She's been doing the same job for 10 years. And that's admirable because at least she can hold a job. But she will never even become a section manager. This is finite for her. She's got a job that I could pull a 16-year-old kid off the street, train him for two weeks, and he could do it equally as good as her. And she's able to live in a decent house due to Section 8 and her income level. not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's the way that it is. And this society that's built itself on that concept, that that is, okay, at least she holds a job, doesn't make a lot of money, got a couple of kids, she's entitled to at least this, there should be a system to get that for her. The illusion that's allowed us to create that reality is about to break, and people like her are going to get hurt. You're not going to just be able to stay there anymore. Do you know how that works? The, the owner of the property... Gets a little bit of money for her from her and a bunch of money from the government. If the money from the government goes away, do you think he's going to be like, "Oh yeah, you could stay here for 150 bucks"? No. And the mentality so rooted. I remember when her youngest child was getting to an age where they cut off WIC, women, infants, and children support. She said to me, "They're going to take away my WIC." I said it's not your WIC. It's your infant's wick who's no longer an infant and hasn't been for a number of years. You no longer qualify. And it was like somebody literally came into her house and she had worked and bought food and put it in the refrigerator with her own money and she felt like they were coming, open her refrigerator and take it away. This is the delusion that we're not just living under. It's not just the people doing it. It's every person out there that thinks it's okay. That those systems exist. Because they cannot exist. They cannot exist sustainably. That's a word that we throw around a lot in the green movement and everything. Sustainability. That is not sustainable. And a person living that way, my sister's three years younger than me, she's 37. She's lived this way as long as she's been an adult. She's had that job since she was about 20 years old. She's had that house, I think, for over... Fifteen years? That's not sustained. That cannot be sustained. It doesn't work. Because some people are going to get tired of it eventually, but the system itself is going to stop being able to prop it up. We only have done this because we can burn oil and gas and do a lot with a little and print money at the same time. That's the only reason we've been able to do this. This is why the nation is $16 trillion in debt. And we have to hit a breaking point. And when we do, all of this... this Okay, so it's not... It's over and everybody's dead and people are shooting each other and zombies are eating brains. No. But it's all these people at various layers from people like my sister to people that have never... At least she works, right? She has a job. She shows up all the time. She's held her job that long. She's just single and has a low enough income. She qualifies for the extra assistance. She's the working poor. That lives in a pretty decent house. Where there's a landlord that has to fix things when they break. From her to the person that's truly impoverished. That lives on the street. To the person that is in the middle of those two. That's never worked a day in their life. But is on 100% assistance. To the person that's just working So hard. So hard. They rise a little bit higher than her, and they're told, make it on your own now. You don't get anything. To the person that's risen beyond that, to the person that has a business, everybody is going to be hit by this. And all of these people are going to have the rugs pulled out from underneath them. And the truth is, the lower down they are, the harder they're going to get hit. This fantasy that some people have, well, the rich will get theirs when this happens. No, no. The rich will get yours when this happens. You understand me? You, this is what you need to understand. The rich are not who you think they are. The rich, are, they are not the people that live four blocks away from you in the bigger house. Those are people that just are doing the same thing you are and were a little bit more successful doing it, by and large. The rich people, you don't even know who they are. And when this comes down, the rich aren't going to get theirs. The rich are going to get yours. And that guy down the street and the poor person's all at once, the rich are not going to get theirs. The rich are going to get yours. And there's very little you can do about it. And this is the shift. This is a global shift. And you are as likely to stop it today or prevent it from happening today as you are from getting in a spaceship, flying out side of the earth's atmosphere getting around to the leeward side as the earth orbits around the sun holding your hand out the window in a space suit and stopping the progression of planet earth the shift is that powerful it is going to happen because there's almost 7 billion people in the world today And over half of them are clamoring for it to happen. Over half of them don't even understand that it's going to happen. And a very small minority in the middle are going, holy shit, are we screwed. That's me. That's us. And when you're in that movement, when you're in that group, it's very easy to go nuts. It's very easy to go to the extreme and think that it's going to... Because it just seems like, you know what, it would be... For some people, I think they, they they fear the reality of the growth of a totalitarian state... More than they fear going out and fighting for a scrap of food. Because the other shift that's happening, liberty in this country is dying on our watch. And a lot of people seem to think that when this shift occurs, when this multitude of shifts occur, that the government will falter enough that that liberty will be restored. Only if we take it. You, you don't build a police state and not use it, folks. And that's what's being built around you right now. And I don't want to scare anybody or freak anybody out or, you know, make you think I've gone over to the complete, you know, crazy town or anything. But this is, this is some facts about what's happening to liberty in this country. Your government is working at breakneck speed trying to get anything it can through legislature. And it's been shot down many times by people resisting it. And those are small victories, but victories nonetheless, to get more control over the Internet. Because they don't like the fact that you can disseminate information so easily on the Internet. And they want a kill switch. They want a kill switch. That they can just go, National Emergency, click, Internet's off. They want that. they publicly asked for it. We are powerful in this country in the liberty movement because we can communicate with each other. That is our greatest power. They want to take it away. In Utah, the NSA... The group that you hear about once in a while, but not very often, the group that's more secret than the FBI and the CIA, is building a data center larger than the United States Capitol building to store information. If you realize how much information can be stored in a smartphone, and you realize that a a system and bank of computers of that size is being put together to store information, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who they're storing information on and what kind of information they're storing. They're keeping information on everybody, and they're storing everything they can get. That's the only reason you need that much space. So that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing right now. And again, this is public. I'm not making this up. This is an awesome, you know, crazy conspiracy site. This is publicly available information that that facility is being constructed. There are permits in place to allow up to 60,000 unmanned drones to have access to U.S. airspace some controlled by state governments, some by federal, and many by local governments and police departments. 60,000 aircraft with cameras and audio capability to fly over your country. 60,000 of them. Jeez, where would they get all the data for that data? Oh, there you go. So we have this falling of liberty. And you think that the people in control don't know this shift is coming? They just put out a report on it. I covered it yesterday. 140 pages saying the United States and the world will be a different place in 2030, folks. It'll be a different place in 2020, a lot different. They know this is coming, and they know you're not going to sit idly by and let it happen and just go, okay, take half of my pension. And the other guy's like, yeah, you can have all mine. That's it's not going to happen, right? People are going to get pissed. Here's the thing. Most of you listening to me know that you've been lied to your entire life about reality. That's good. It's not good you've been lied to. It's good you know. You're not the problem. Out of 330 million people in America today, maybe 10 million people really know they've been lied to. Maybe 40 million, maybe... Get it intrinsically, even though they won't fully admit it yet. Take out the kids and the old people, and you got roughly a hundred million people collectively believing everything that they've been told and expecting to get the results they've been promised who are all gonna go pretty much ape shit when this happens, and when they do. <clears throat> Your government will come out and tell you, we have got to stop this. We've got to protect what you have. So that the 200 million people that still have something will let them step on the necks of the 100 million and they'll be stepping on the necks of the 100 million on their way to your neck. Step on yours too. And tell you we have to do this in the name of safety. Where have we seen this before? This is what's coming. This is the shift that we need to be prepared for. And the way that we prepare, prepare for it as we do as much as we can right now with all of the wonderful resources that we have to create as much sustainability in our lives and the lives of our families and our communities as possible. We need to be building for a real future, not, not prepare, you know, not expecting the one that was promised to be delivered. See, most people view the future as a big box with a bow on it. And are told, you know, at least by the time you're sixty nine or seventy two or whatever it's gonna be, you'll get this stuff called social security, medicaid, and medicare and now you'll get health care at least uh, right away and there'll be all of these things you'll get your 401k and everything will be fine, everything will be and you got this pension and you go, or you got this retirement or you got this investment that you made or whatever it is. They believe that's in a little box and that one day they'll reach the point where they get that one and they'll get to that box and they'll open it and something will be in there. And eventually they'll get another box and you know one day they'll get the big box. It's a guaranteed income for life. <laughs> Some of those boxes are far enough into the future, folks, that they're, they don't have everything in them that was promised, and some of them are so far into the future, uh, for most of us in our 40s, about all of your boxes, and everybody younger than us, your boxes are empty. At your bet, at best, the box is empty, and at worst, the box is a giant steaming pile of dog crap in it. Alright? You're actually better off with an empty box than what some of them may contain. So if we know all this, And the reality is that that shift is coming and we can't stop it, then what do we do? We build the resiliency in ourselves today. We build a lifestyle where we can make it no matter what happens. Because when this happens, you'll have this big spike and all this atrocity that goes on and everything else. But eventually the people that come out the other side are going to kind of get together. And it won't be utopia, and everything won't be wonderful, and not everybody's going to be a constitutionist and a libertarian. But sooner or later, the rich, the real rich, the uber rich, the people that did all this, they'll stop getting yours, and they will get theirs. Sooner or later, the people will start to push back. Some of the people that voted for all the people that put all of this crap in place that are now not getting what they were promised, and not just the people that were getting it for nothing, but the people that worked for it might start asking a question like, gee, we didn't have that data center in Utah and didn't have to pay for all that electricity and all those computers and all those people there that are just keeping track of everything and we, that we do. We didn't have that. If we just shut that down, how much money could we save? And at some point, the government may even have to ask themselves that question. There will be opportunities to regain liberty in the future because as we look at past empires, as they fall, there always are. Here's the danger. The more unprepared the population is for an empire to fall, the greater the power vacuum, and the greater potential there is for whatever rises in its place to be worse. If we're going to reclaim our liberty, we have to first reclaim our lives. We have to stop asking how we got here collectively, and we have to start asking how do we get here individually, and how do we change that for ourselves, because that we can do. You can take responsibility for your food supply, whether it's by gardening or permaculture and producing some of your own food or simply by saying there's lots of food available right now. I'm going to store enough of it so that if I am in a situation where it's hard to obtain or more expensive or whatever, I will be okay at least for a time till I can figure out what to do. We, we can all do that. If you live in an apartment, you can store some stuff under your bed, at least a month's worth. You can do it cheap. You can do it cheap. Rice, beans, pasta, right? It doesn't have to be the stuff you eat every day. I think storing what you eat and what you, even what you store, that's a good plan. But I think like a bulk reserve supply of food, hey, I'd rather eat pasta than nothing. We can store a lot of that for a little bit of money. We can become able to defend ourselves and have situational awareness. We can start paying attention to these big problems instead of ignoring them without becoming consumed by them so that we're just aware. We can take responsibility and learn how to defend ourselves physically and with weapons. And we can at least get the mindset that if somebody does come after me, I will do what's necessary. There was just a thing out today somebody sent me that said most Americans have said they would kill to protect their family. Here's the problem with that. Most Americans are full of shit. They say it, but most Americans are not prepared, even mentally, to do it. And they're certainly not prepared physically to do it. I guarantee you they asked some fat slob who's never worked a day in her life. She was part of that survey. Four kids squirted out. Another one on the way. 280 pounds. Is for gun control. Voted for Obama twice. Guarantee you they asked her. Yeah, I would kill to protect my family. I would. Can't make it across the room to get the gun that's not in the dresser before somebody beats you to death with a club. So, you might say it, but you physically are unable to do it. And more people than that are mentally unable to do it. People are cavalier about the concept. Uh, Ah, somebody comes after my kids. You know, the mama bear crap. I get so sick of that, ladies. I really do. Let me tell you why you better get a gun, women. If you can where you're at, this is why you better get one. Those those that say, oh, I would find out the bear for my kids. No. Because when a six foot, four inch big goon Besides, he's taking your children and he's taking whatever he wants from you, you can mama bear that crap all you want. He's going to beat the hell out of you. But a 38 special will turn him into a corpse. And when he makes that decision, that's what he belongs being. But unless you got it in your head that that's a possibility, you won't be able to do it when the time comes. And don't confuse your beliefs about what you're capable of with the reality of what you're capable of. So we can take responsibility for our mental preparedness to defend ourselves and our physical capabilities to do so. We can take responsibility for those members of our family that will never listen to us to make sure that we can at least help them a little bit in this transitional period. We can all do something to make sure that's possible. We can all at least warn them. Say, hey, you know, you might want to consider being a little bit more prepared than you are. We can all make sure that we are building a community larger than of, of one we have other people that we can rely on, communicate with, and talk to. We can all educate ourselves every day. We can all pay down debt. We can all, we can, it's, paying down debt's one thing. We can all avoid more of it. We can be smart about what we do. If we're inclined to, we can build businesses. We can build wealth. We can learn skills. These are all things we can do. I mean, do you think I did 13 and 13 and 13 skills just because I wanted another website? It's a freaking mission. I want you to be able to do things. You know, I have people over there saying stuff like, get a better t- t- the tanning. We moved it into leather work because people were saying they wanted to get a better suntan. I know that's not probably from you guys. I know that's probably from the Lifehacker exposure. But I mean, think about that. You come to a site called 13skills.com. You see all of this stuff, these hard skills. You see tanning. And you say, to, I want to get rid of my tan lines. ha ha ha. This is the mentality that's out there. And we need to not have it in our lives. Skills are the most important thing that we can be developing right now. Because you can store food and it can run out or somebody can take it away or your house can burn down. You can get a gun and eventually, you know, you could lose it or run out of ammo or end up in a situation where you can't get to it. But your skills, the only way to take a person's skill away from them is to kill them or damage them mentally to the point where they can't function anymore. So as long as you're still walking and breathing and thinking, you have your skills. That's why they're the most valuable thing out there. And the skills we need to work on are the skills of being able to get along and work together and build and develop and respond and and, and deal with catastrophes that are coming that won't be so obvious when they get here as a hurricane. These will not be things that seem like they're overnight. They'll be this downward spiral into the abyss of a monetary event horizon, of a demographic event horizon. People keep thinking it's going to get better when it's not. They stay suckered into the false belief. We can take responsibility for feeding, housing, and clothing ourselves. So that when these things start to happen and solutions are offered by the people that cause the problem, we have enough sense to say, no thank you. This is, if I could get America to just do one thing for me collectively, just one thing, it would be to get in the mindset of the average American that when a problem occurs, don't blame anybody at first. Don't think about sides, just logically analyze it and say, who's to blame? everybody that's to blame, not the Democrats or the Republicans, but both of them did this, and that would be government. Not just the corporations did this, but the corporation and government did this together. And everybody that goes into the basket of the people that caused the problem are not entitled to deliver any ideas, any concepts, or any components of something that is to be a solution. If you broke it, as much as we would like you to fix it, we don't think you're capable if that could change one mindset in America, that would be it. And you know what, folks? That would be enough. That would be enough. Because this government and this corporate, corporatocracy, this plutocracy, these things working together that constantly offer solutions, every time you see a solution, you should ask yourself, the people bringing me the solution, what part did they play in the causation of the problem? Without looking at their, you know, their party affiliation. If they're a government person, and the problem came from government by a different name, I don't care. The government created that problem. We don't need you to fix it. We need you to stop doing what you're doing. Stop making it worse. Go away. If a corporation caused that problem, and that same corporation, or a very related corporation, has a solution for you, maybe you need to, you know, we don't need your solution. You broke it. Stop breaking it, we'll put it back together. That would be enough. But that's a dream for now. That's the circle of concern. I'm focused on my circle of influence. The people that listen to me every day, and in my own life. Building resiliency and redundancy into my life, and into the lives of as many Americans as I possibly can, through a common sense approach that just says there's certain things you need and therefore you have an obligation to be responsible to be able to provide them for yourselves and for your family and on some level to help your community do the same. That's it. That's all I can do. But it's a lot. And it's all you can do. But it's a lot. It's a lot for you too. And we can get through this crap collectively and individually and you need to realize that there's going to be a lot of people that will never listen until it's too late but in the end you better be prepared to work with those people too. I keep getting asked how do you build a community, how do you build a community walk out your front door and look around because whether you like it or not those are the people that you're going to have when this happens Unless you happen to move before it dies, It's like taking over a company. You can't fire everybody. you got to work with some of the people that are there, even though they're less than optimal. There's a reason you were brought in to fix a screwed up company. It's screwed up. You can bring some new people in, but the reality is you got to work with what you have. Football coach that comes and takes over a team. You can't get rid of everybody trade a few players out, go out and negotiate some new, but in the end, you're working with the structure of the organization and the players that you've inherited that have already failed. But somehow, sometimes, that right CEO comes in and makes a company successful. That right right coach comes in, two or three years later, that team is playing in the Super Bowl. It takes something special, but the biggest thing is it's not as complicated as it seems. It's mostly based on a belief and that's Don't what I that, want to do better than ever and that's what Possibility, want to do and that's what I want and with that this has been Jack Spiracol with another edition of Survival Podcast Helping you figure out how to live that better life. Sometimes it's or even if they don't. Someday we'll realize our children just can't pay. There's nobody up there cares they're living for today.